The Republicans continue to be a mess and to the joys of the Democrat, Democrats. And a report finds that blue cities are really dangerous, but just how dangerous? And what is wrong with our military leadership? This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. Welcome back to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Well, I know that I live in California, and everywhere else in the country is pretty miserable with all the rain and stuff, but my gosh, it's really cold here. It's almost 60, and it's raining, and I got wet when I went for my run today. And it's funny, Jeremy Renner this last week um, got into a snowplow accident over in Nevada. I guess he was the border of Nevada, the Sierra Nevada mountains or something, and I was just thinking to myself, gosh, you know, it could be worse. Every time Josie comes over here, the first thing she sits back and says is how damn cold it is. And I keep telling her, well, I mean, it's 58 degrees. And we're talking, this is at 530 at night. But it is cold. We're just used to it being 70. So anyway, if you live in California, I totally get you. It's cold. But everybody else in the country, you're going to hate us. And I got news for you. When your tax bill comes in, unless you live in New York or one of those other states, yeah, you're you're not going to feel that bad for us. You're not going to feel that good about about uh, or that bad uh, for yourself. Okay, so the Republicans just keep being jerk offs. I, I don't understand this. So the Kevin, they're doing another vote as I speak right now. They're doing another vote, the fourth one for Speaker of the House. McCarthy is has already lost. He can't he can't reach it, which means they're going to have to go to a fifth vote. Uh, Twelve Republicans have peeled away from... Well, actually, it's probably going to be 20 Republicans have peeled away from McCarthy, which means he's going to lose to Hakeem Jeffries. Now, this is... This is incredible. This is really, honestly, an irrelevant position. I... Speaker of the House, the only thing the Speaker of the House has to do is basically sit there and say, no, Joe Biden, you're not going to do this. And I'm not a huge fan of McCarthy. I don't think he's a bad guy. I think he's a decent politician, but I think he's a politician. So the Republicans, and Republicans I like, uh, nominated this guy from Florida. I I forgot his name. It doesn't really matter. He's not going to get enough votes anyway. But I just don't understand why Republicans can't get on the same page. And it's not like McCarthy. McCarthy has talked to these people. And what the funny thing is, it goes vote after vote after vote after vote. Instead of, okay, we're, we're not going to vote today. Let's just go and we'll talk. They, they continue to have this vote. So they're going through the four, fourth vote now. It looks like it's going to end up basically the same thing. It's going to be 209 to 200 and. 202 for uh, Hakeem Jeffries, who's a far leftist, and 20 Republicans just refused to vote for McCarthy. And it's just, it's so stupid because all McCarthy is going to do is sit back and, I, I don't know, I don't know, he all he's going to do is not vote for Biden's agenda. That's all he's supposed to do. And he's basically a glorified secretary. I'm not exactly sure why. 
Well, I think they're going to need to figure it out. I, I, I really think the Republicans going to need to figure it out. It's not going to work out today. Um, well, right now in this fourth vote, it's probably going to go to a fifth vote. If it goes to, if I were a Republican, I would sit there and say, you know something, enough. Let's get together. Let's get our ducks in a row. Let's figure out what needs to be done. There's a very good chance now that McCarthy is not going to be the speaker. There is more of a chance that Jeffries is going to be a speaker. It'd be this Hakeem Jeffries, the Democrat, is going to be the speaker of the House with a Republican. Uh, with a Republican majority than McCarthy's going to be. I, I truly believe there's going to be some bizarre thing that ends up happening. Maybe McCarthy, McCarthy said he's not going to give up. But I'm just thinking, okay, what's best for the party? And by the way, McCarthy has done that before. When John, I think it was John Boehner uh, retired or was kicked out. McCarthy ran against, uh, I can't remember who the guy was, the the young guy. But he ran, he ran against this another guy, and and nobody wanted McCarthy, which makes me wonder what's wrong with McCarthy, that you can't just get in your party, you can't get a vote. It tells me there's something wrong with McCarthy. No one's pointing that out, by the way. Uh, he does raise a ton of money for Republicans. He's a good-looking guy. He's very well-spoken. He's very good politically. He's not as conservative as, let's say, a Chip Roy or... Uh, any of the other conservatives on there, but he's still a good guy. I don't know. Something something is pissing everyone off. So this vote, not looking good. Jeffries is probably going to beat him again. Okay, let's get to our first story. Um, according to Post Millennial, a new study has found that the military-aged males living in Chicago and Philadelphia are more likely to be shot dead than those deployed to war zones in Iraq and Afghanistan. In a study published by the JAMA Network, researchers at Brown University and the University of Pennsylvania found that young military-aged males from, quote, zip codes with the most violence in Chicago and Philadelphia had a notably higher risk of firearm-related death than U.S. military personnel who served during the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Now, this is not the first time I've heard this, but I don't think there's ever really been a study about it. The article continues, while Chicago and Philadelphia were discovered to be areas where young males are more likely to be shot dead, researchers found during the study of 129,826 young adult men living in Chicago, Philadelphia, New York City, and Los Angeles in 2021. Yeah, what do those cities have in common, by the way? Yeah, they're all run. They're all blue. I'll get to that in a second. Uh, let me go. that young men living in Chicago, Philadelphia, New York City, and Los Angeles in 2020 and 2021 that, quote, the most violent areas in New York City and Los Angeles were associated with less risk for young adult males than these theaters of war. Now, I want to be careful with that, okay, because that might be true, but there's also a lot more people in those cities, and a lot of those folks... Uh, are pretty much on the street and on drugs. So I, I, I don't necessarily buy that. Uh, I think that if you have 100 people and one and 10 people die of gunshot wounds, like Chicago, 10%, and if you have 200 people and the same 10 die in Los Angeles, yeah, I, I can see that. I'd like to actually see some of the other stats that I, I, didn't, I didn't see them, but I didn't see any stats, but... I'm sure they probably did uh, per cap per 100,000. I don't know. 
The study noted that all zip codes looked at the, quote, risks were overwhelmingly borne by young white males with minoritized racial and ethnic groups, which means black, Hispanic minorities. Mind you, this is just violent crime. Again, we're not talking about suicide. We're not talking about drug overdoses. I think Calif- I think if you put Los Angeles and New York up against Chicago and Philadelphia, e- the death of young people would be equal. So I, I-, I don't know. Um, here's the reality. Blue cities, that's it. Notice they don't have Dallas on there. Notice they don't have San Diego on there. Notice they don't have Miami there. Or Fort Lauderdale or Orlando. Well, there's a reason. Because they're red cities and they are run they are run by uh they they are law and order cities. And I don't want to hear about the the crap you they hear you constantly hear is that red red states are more dangerous than blue blue states. And that's kind of true, except that the cities that have the most deaths, that have the most violence, are cities that are run by blue mayors. So let's take a look at Texas. The most dangerous city in Texas is Austin. And there are a ton of murders in Austin. Okay? And that brings Texas as a whole into kind of like there are a lot of shooting deaths. Better yet, if you look at Louisiana, which is a red state... You've got New Orleans, which is one of the most dangerous cities in the world. Well, New Orleans is run by a blue, a blue mayor, a Democrat mayor. And you can't sit there and say, well, the rest of the state is fine, but this one state... My, Florida used to say that until they finally went red. Miami was a blue city and had a ton of crime. They went red and suddenly their crime went straight down. So, there's that. But here's the thing. We're living in a society of violence, death, and despair. All right? You can point to, you can point not only to the shootings, the gang violence, because in Chicago and in Philadelphia, that's what it is. It's gang violence. And in L.A., it's the same thing. A lot of gang violence in L.A. I'm not sure about New York. But there's, there's a ton out there. But you also have to think about the despair. You also have to look at the suicides. You have to look at the whole, everything around it. It is more dangerous to live in a blue city than it is really anywhere in the world. I would like to see comparisons between cities like Jalisco, cities like Acapulco, cities like uh, Mogadishu, I'd like to see comparisons of total deaths of young people, not just the deaths through a specific form of violence. I guarantee you, if you again, I say this again because I mean this. I, my dad lives in L.A. I'm in L.A. all the time. L.A. is a cesspool. It is nothing but despair. It is absolutely terrible. And I guarantee you, deaths for people under the age of 30 is a lot higher than what they are actually digging up. And that's because of suicides. That's because of drug overdoses. It really is sad, but no one wants to deal with it. San Francisco, same thing. I, I, it, San Francisco, 
really has very little violence, cri- violent crimes. What they have is they have a lot of property crime. What about that stuff? But they have a ton of overdoses, ton of homelessness. Just really sad. Well, the world um, is a mess. And Donald Trump's chief of staff of the military said this week that, or said last week, that China looks to be ready to take over Taiwan. And it'll be sooner than we think. It'll be within the year. And the reason China is doing this, of course, is because their economy is flailing. Their economy is in huge trouble. Now, I've always thought that their economy, and we've talked a little bit about this, essentially, they went into kind of a fascist economic system where they allowed private business to run, but with heavy, heavy government regulation and oversight. Okay, that's what Italy used to do. That's what Germany did during World War II. They were really fascist economic Uh, economies. Well, China has decided to go more to the communist model where the state owns everything. The state owns the means of production. That was the advantage of fascism was always considered lazy uh, for the Italians. It was considered lazy communism because they didn't, the, the, the state did not want to run everything. And that's what Mussolini said. Now, don't forget something. A socialist, not, not Nazi state was a socialist state. It's in their name. Nazi stands for the National Socialist something party, whatever. Okay, so it was a socialist state. And then Germany saw what Italy was doing. They liked it. And they went to a fascist economy. All right. Now, again, fascism, a lot of different meanings of fascism. Uh, because it is so vague in the political term, I like to use it in a economic term. So, according to the New York, so with all this, anyway, let me get let me get to the point of this story. With all the turmoil in the world right now, and China beginning to look like saying, "Hey, our economy is so bad, we're, we're going to need to take over Taiwan." The question is going to be, how is our military ready? Well, we just found out. I basically yesterday that our navy is way out of date that the mili- that the navy is way behind in the number of ships compared to China now granted China doesn't have the technology we do our ships have far more firepower are far more resilient our ships have way more technology than China's does but China has more ships by the way, that's the communist thing. Just overwhelm people with numbers. That's why China thinks they can win a war. They just have lots of people. They they can throw at something. Lots of ships they can throw at I mean, the United States will, will blow their ships up at a 4 to 1 ratio, but that doesn't matter. They just got a whole lot of them. Yeah, I don't know if that is a great... I don't know if that's a great uh, strategy. I mean, if you look at what happened to Russia, that's what Russia thought. They just throw a lot of people at them and... What happened? Uh, Ukraine just started mowing them down. But our military needs to build up again. It needs to innovate, and it needs to become the most powerful in the world again, and more most powerful in every aspect. Well, here are three stories that 
our military, our stuff our military is going through. And um, it doesn't look like we're actually growing our military. So according to New York Post, the U.S. Marines may ban recruits from respectfully addressing senior members as sir or ma'am to avoid misgendering or offending them. The woke recommendation was made in a new $2 million report commissioned by the Marine Corps from the University of Pittsburgh. There are a few things that really bother me about this story. First off, the reason sir and ma'am are used is because soldiers need to learn respect for their superiors. Because in a, mat- in a wartime, they're going to have to use, they're going to have to listen and respect the orders that come from people that are above you. You don't get to suddenly say, well, I, I don't want to do that. I don't want to attack that hill. That's not an option. So that's one of the reasons why you always, when an officer speaks, the officer has the officer is supposed to have strategic and tactical knowledge that you do not have and you do not know, and you are to listen to him when he tells you to do something because it is for the best of the battle. It is probably the best for the soldier, and you don't need to know why. That's why that respect thing is such a big deal in, let's say, basic training. And by the way, the sir and ma'am thing is not used by everybody. I mean, uh, when someone is gets deep into the service or is in special forces, the sir and ma'am thing is kind of like whatever. And not to mention in certain aspects, it's actually discouraged. Like if you're in the battlefield, they, they tell you don't even bother saluting. So that is a thing. But here's the thing that really gets me. Is it next thing that really gets me is could these guys have spent two million dollars on something more important than an equity study? You know, like a bunch of weapons meant to kill people, which is what the Marines are made to do. I know the military likes to waste money, like adding two thousand dollar ashtrays to fighter jets, but two million dollars for a study that, let's face it, we knew what they were going to say because it did come from the University of Pittsburgh. We're not surprised they want to be more equitable. This is not a big thing. Finally, what added value does bringing the military, uh, does this bring to the military? Eliminating tradition. Especially in the Marines, by the way. I don't know if you've ever met a Marine. I live right next to a Marine base. I've met a ton of them. They're basically trained to kill and blow things up. They aren't much for any of this diversity crap. I've never met a Marine who gives a rat's ass about diversity. As a matter of fact, they walk out, they say sir to ma'am, sir and ma'am to everybody. I would I would bet, and I, I, this is the good news about it, I would bet a dollar the Marines reject this. I don't think the Marines are going to accept this. The Marines will probably just say, okay, thanks for the information. But it does get better. Listen to this one. According to The Hill, West Point over the holiday break will remove the portrait of Robert E. Lee in Confederate uniform as well as the bust of the general general from prominent spots on campus, carrying out directives that were included in the defense authorization bill for 2021. I'm so glad that they... uh, did that bill. That makes so much sense to me. Lieutenant General Stephen W. Gilland announced these steps and more in the letter to the West Point community posted on the Military Academy's website. 
quote, during the holiday break, we will begin a multi-phase process in accordance with the Department of Defense directives to renew, remove, rename, and modify assets and real property at the United States Military Academy and West Point installation that commemorate or memorialize the Confederacy or those who voluntarily served with the Confederacy. The changes come after demands to remove Confederate statues, busts, and portraits gained steam following George Floyd's killing by police in Minneapolis of the summer of 2020. Yes, because George Floyd, a a drug-addicted felon, unemployed felon, should determine what our military institutions do. Now, a few things about about Robert E. Lee, okay? He was a great general, general. His tactics and strategies are still studied today. He did own a small number of slaves, but he was seen as paternalistic in nature. There were rumors that he did beat his slaves, but those were just rumors. No, there was never any witnessing that he used to beat slaves. He had no real opinion on slavery or secession by the South. In fact, he thought slavery was probably going, was going to end because it was evil, and it really just had no place in the United States. So he did eventually believe it was going to be abolished. And he didn't fight for the South to protect slavery, which is what the left really wants you to believe. He fought for the South because he was from Virginia and he wanted to defend his homeland and he didn't want to be on the side. Because don't forget, he did represent the North. He did fight for the North for years. But he didn't want to fight for the North against his own state. Not to mention the guy was punished. I mean, yes, he wasn't hung. He wasn't arrested, which is a real the real reason that his bus should be there. He did try to get his U.S. citizenship back. He was forgiven. He was pardoned. He never got his U.S. citizenship back. He was punished. But the story of Robert Lee Lee is really an important one. And all of the generals, there was a reason they weren't hung as treason, as uh, traitors. They weren't hung because because Abraham Lincoln, a Republican, by the way, wanted forgiveness. He wanted us to be a complete country. He didn't want to alienate the South any more than he already had. And that's why he forgave, he pardoned all of the generals of the South. I mean... Even uh, the president of the Confederacy only served a few years in prison. They did not want to alienate South any more than they had to. And I think that's a story that's really missing. But see, that's the problem with the left. They do not forgive. Okay, oh, here's another one. This is awesome. According to the Wall Street Journal... The Department of Veterans Affairs has a gender gingerbread person. NASA says, beware of micro inequities. And if the U.S. Army service woman expressed, quote, discomfort showering with female, uh, with a female who has male genitalia, which means a man, uh, end quote. I mean, they do quote that. What's the brass reply? Talk to your commanding officer, but toughen up. These are the details from hundreds of pages of diversity and inclusion training materials used by the federal government in 2021 and obtained under the uh, under the Freedom of Information Act 
Everyone in corporate life knows such training lampooned by the second episode of the TV show The Office. Yet taxpayers may be curious how their money is being spent to instruct the federal workforce these days. Now, what's incredible about these things I'm going to talk about is how childish they are. They treat our soldiers like they are freaking children. It's just incredible. Okay, so let's take a look at some of these. We're going to take a look at a bunch of them because they are ridiculous. All right, here we go. So, on managing gender diversity. Now, I am reading this from um, I am reading this from uh, the article, but they do a lot of quoting. I'm not going to quote everything. The VA's managing gender diversity training has sections on pronouns and embracing gender expansiveness. One slide lists terms including gender fluid and pansexual while instructing list your personal biases in the bias box. A game of privileged bingo includes such terms as no criminal record, military experience, and married. And then what they did is they, they, they've got a, a deal here, a, a, a slide of a gender-bred man. And then they talk about the different portions of gender, how it affects the body, the brain, the heart, and the genitals. And then it's got a, a, a ton of... Go to dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. You can actually look at it. They've got a, uh, a chart or a, um, a scale on where someone is when it comes to male or female. It's just incredible. NASA also gets into the into the... By the way, do you notice? Do you notice something? Um, if I'm a man who thinks he's a woman, I, you know, I'm the one. Everyone else has to conform to me. Nobody has to conform to the seventy-five thousand women who are in the military. I, I don't understand it. Why doesn't the military conform to that guy? Or why doesn't that guy conform to to the military? You have to pretty much conform everywhere in the military. Well, you used to. I don't know if you have to anymore. It just makes no sense to me. If you are one guy in a platoon of two of 500, why is it everyone else has to conform to you? And by the way, if you are a if you are in the military and you are nuts, you are nuts, then um then you, you shouldn't be in the military in the first place if you're that confused about something as simple as I'm a man or a woman. Whatever. NASA got into it. Uh, that Basically, this NASA released something on racism. A NASA trading on allyship, allyship for executives says that the term African-American is utilized heavily in white spaces. There are quotes everywhere. I'm not going to use the quote, and it can make black people feel excluded as the term tends to other. Another NASA slide series explains that inclusive leaders are willing to be uncomfortable in exploring gender, race, sexual orientation, and so forth. We have been taught to act as if we are colorblind and gender neutral, it adds, but these efforts actually limit us. So in other words, they have a chart 
And they basically talk about colorblindness. So in other words, if I say I'm not a racist or I really don't give a damn if you're black, white, brown, green, whatever. Okay, I don't care if you're gay. I don't care if you're trans, though I don't want you in the military. Okay, that doesn't matter. I'm a racist because I say I'm not a racist. And they talk about this. This is all that Ibram X. Kendi critical race theory BS that they keep pushing on people. And they're pushing it in the in NASA. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm way out here. I, I thought that basically NASA was supposed to, like, I don't know, launch ships into space, land on the moon, something like that. Okay. And by the way, this is something that a lot of folks don't realize in the military, especially on the left. You're there to become a non-person. You are there to conform in every way. You are not there to be an individual. Remember Full Metal Jacket where the guy, and he used, I, I was going to play the clip, but he used so many racial epitaphs, I thought that's probably not a great thing to play. But he used all the racial epitaphs, the N-word, the K-word, the... Uh, uh, derogatory term for Mexicans, the derogatory term for white people. He used them all, and he basically said, you're equally worthless in my military. I'm going to make you unworthless. He was basically saying there is no race in the military. But we've forgotten that because I guess we got we to gotta deal with that. And by the way, that kind of helped us out in some wars because if you remember in the 60s with Vietnam and in the 50s with Korea and in the 40s with World War II there were black soldiers all over the place there were black there were black pilots they had to deal with this but the military kind of taught people you got to tolerate whatever but NASA went further and included a cheat sheet so that all racists wouldn't be racist this is what they said a NASA tip sheet on microaggressions gives examples that include asking an Asian person to help with a math or science problem, as well as saying America is a melting pot. A slight I was in the military, no one ever did that. I, I, I'm sorry, that's just not a thing. A slide deck on the inclusive language suggests nixing the poor and substituting people dealing with economic hardship. Yeah, that's gonna happen. We're gonna replace poor with a 17-syllable sentence to describe somebody. A talk to a NASA center by Janice Underwood, then the state of Virginia's chief diversity officer, urges, walk toward the discomfort. When patterns of white supremacy are named or questioned, predictable defensive responses will emerge. Ms. Underwood now leads the Diversity Bureau at the Federal Office of Personal Management. Awesome. There's another worthless person earning $200,000 a year, if that. Uh, question. I, again, no one says this crap. No one cares. If you if a, a black if a black guy walks up to you and you say, hey, where are you from? I'm from here. Yeah, I was raised poor and decided to join the military. They, they tell you this stuff. But we got to change everything? So, I mean, some of the, some of the things that said on this sheet, self-relection... Self-reflection, the work is ongoing. It's a continuum. Walk toward discomfort. Do a flip, a mental test to check yourself. Avoid language like, I don't see color. I'm colorblind. I treat everyone the same. Just hire the best person. Yeah, because 
uh, if you just hire the best person, um, that's racist. And expand your social and professional circles, which I think everyone does, so I don't know why that's in there. All right, and then the other one, the Department of Homeland Security. They sat back and said the Department of Homeland Security presentation on inclusive diversity says that micro inequities can be fought by micro affirmations. Social and physical pain produces similar brain responses. It argues using a cartoon rendition of two brain scans. Okay, this cartoon rendition, it shows social and physical pain and then it shows places in the brain where it highlights. Now, I've seen this slide before. And that's when they talk about physical and social pain, it's not exactly social pain. It's emotional pain. And typically that emotional pain, because I've seen this exact slide, they just change the words on the bottom. That pain, emotional pain, can be a breakup with a girlfriend or boyfriend, a divorce, and also the death of a loved one. Now, I'm not sure if this slide would accurately identify not being invited to dinner because you're black. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So I question this slide right off the bat. And these leftists, yeah, they, they do that all the time. Finally, the National Science Foundation, which deals with the Space Force and deals with NASA. And don't forget, NASA may not sound like a military-industrial complex. It is. It, it's directly intertwined with Space Force. And the goal of NASA is to colonize other planets. That That's their goal. Their goal now is to colonize the moon. All right. I mean, Elon Musk is going to do it way before any of, they, of the government officials do it because the government sucks at everything. But according to the National Science Foundation, a National Science Foundation seminar presents data about the race and gender of NSF's Workforce, before sending participants to breakout rooms to discuss. A National Endowment for the Arts program offers definitions for terms. National Endowment for the Arts? I didn't read that part. Uh, such as white fragility, heterosexism, and mis misogyny. Okay, that's misogyny. Okay, and this is this is actually pretty hysterical. So, white fragility is defined as discomfort. Let me expand expand this a little bit. I can't see it. It's, it's defined as discomfort and defensiveness on the part of a white person when confronted with information about racial inequity and injustice. Okay? That is straight out of um, uh, critical race theory. So, white fragility is basically... You either are really offended by someone saying that you're a racist. That's white fragility. If someone walked up to me and said, I'm a racist because I'm white, first off, that's racism. Okay, you just assume somebody, that's a prejudice more than it's racism. But if you assume that you are higher on the, uh, you have a more moral authority because I'm simply white, that's racism. Okay, simply because I say I'm not a racist, that means that, I have white fragility. I guess I'm white for I I'm I'm white fragility. I have white fragility because I I'm not racist and I really don't care. Mis uh, misogynoir, 
Bias directed at black women where race and gender play a role. Okay, so you're not only a racist, you're a sexist. I've never heard that term before. Cisgender. Sense of one's gender that corresponds with gender at birth. Because this is, uh, how about just straight guy? How about guy? Let's see, what else? Microaggression. Indirect, subtle, or unintentional discrimination. If it's unintentional, it's not discrimination. Uh, unconscious bias. I love this one. Unaware, uncontrolled preference or choice. Unconscious bias. So, I don't like snails. I don't like to eat snails. Is that an unconscious bias or is that a conscious bias? By the way, all this stuff you do all the time. White privilege, inherent advantage. Prejudice. I didn't read this one. Preconceived opinion not based in reason or actual experience. This is that's, that's interesting that they would actually put that there. Because what a lot of people call racism is actually not racism. That's prejudice. My brother-in-law does this all the time. He sits back and says, well, if a white woman is walking down a street and she sees three black men walking towards her and she crosses the street, is that racism? No, that's prejudice. She doesn't think she's morally superior. She just sees three men. If she saw three white men, I would think she would do the same thing. Likewise, and I made this argument. He didn't He didn't buy it. It was just straight racism. I said, what if a white woman is, what if a black woman is walking down the street and she sees white guys that look like thugs? Would she cross the street? Is that racism? Well, that wouldn't happen. Yes, it would. It would, it would if she was smart. Finally, anti-racist. I love this. Oh, there's a couple here. I, I, I'm done with the, the podcast, so I might as well finish this off. Anti-racist, a form of action against racism and systemic oppression of marginalized groups. I, I don't know what that action is. How about, well, I do. It's being an activist. In other words, by me saying I'm not a racist, that's not, acti- not anti-racism. Anti-racism means I have to admit I'm a racist. And this is what, straight out of Ibram X. Kendi's book, straight out of it, I have to admit I'm a racist and then fight against racism. That's anti-racism. That's critical race theory. That's what it is in a nutshell. Finally, intersectionality. A complex cumulative cumulative way in which the effects of multiple forms of discrimination combine, overlap, or intersect. That's not exactly a great definition of it. Essentially, what it is, what intersectionality is, is your victim card. What victim card? If you are a trans woman who is Native American mixed with black, you are the highest intersectionality class. You are the greatest of victims. It used to be gay or lesbian were the highest victim class. And if you were a black man who was gay, oh my God, you were you were just given everything you wanted. It doesn't work like that. Now it's the trans thing. A, a trans white person has more intersectional points, victim points. than it, That's why I hate intersectionality. And by the way, that's been around since the 60s. That's why I hate intersectionality. All it is is defining you need 
you are less privileged because of what you are. A lot of kids are doing the trans thing and the gay thing because of intersectionality. They want to be seen as minorities. They want to be seen as victims. It's one of the reasons our culture is falling apart. Now, here's the thing. Looking at all of this stuff, then I'm done. I know, I went 10 minutes late. Sorry, sorry, Dave. Um, does any of this sound like it will improve the military or the military-industrial complex? I don't want my military being sensitive and inclusive. I want my military to be insensitive, boorish killers that want nothing more to do than blow things up and kill people. I don't want them seeing the Chinese person and saying to themselves, well, I mean, they're Chinese and maybe I shouldn't kill them and kill him, or I shouldn't say him, I should say them, because I don't want them thinking like this. I want them thinking like, okay, that man's trying to kill me, and I'm trying to kill him, I need to kill him first. That's why we've succeeded as a military for so long, but the left is trying to destroy it, and they're, they're succeeding. Okay, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Uh, visit my website at dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. Also visit Rumble. I have a new video out there. Just type in dumbassestalkingpolitics in the uh, search engine. Hope you guys have a great day. Talk to you tomorrow. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics.